Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. It, it was just a Jesus movement. It was a, a Jesus-like kind of living, a Jesus-like kind of existence that his early followers had, and, and it started a revolution, and it, it really it changed the world and impact the world. And it was it, one of the things that he brought into, into existence was a brand new covenant, like this contract, this relational contract between people and God. And that contract between people and God, it wasn't going to be like contracts of old where somebody would you know, have to, to kind of enact it through some act of their own or through, through some behavior of their own, but it was going to be enacted and offered to the world through one incredible act of love. And we know that as, of course, the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, he laid down his life as a covering for sins. His life was absolutely perfect, absolutely sinless, absolutely flawless, absolutely perfect in love and generosity and kindness and everything and strength and, and all of those things. And he laid down that perfect life as a covering. And so all of us who haven't lived perfect lives... Anybody in here not lived a perfect life? Raise your hand. All of y'all with your hands down, like, come on, somebody. Like, you're not supposed to lie, especially not in church. But, you know, when, when he laid down his life as a covering, he offered this covering to all of us that have lived imperfect lives. And based on that covering, because we can be covered with the perfection of Jesus Christ, we have access into a brand new relationship with our creator. And based on that incredible act of selflessness, he gave a brand new commandment. And, and really this commandment was what drove him to do what he did. It's what drove him to the cross. And then he gave that brand new commandment to all of his followers and said, this is going to be your commandment forever. And this is going to be the one thing, the filter through which you filter all of your behaviors and all of your choices and every decision and, and the way that you govern the relationships in your lives. And what he told them and what he tells us is that I want you to love each other as I have loved you. I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. And, you know, people looked at him and, and his teachings and, and everything that he brought and his condemnation of the current religious systems and all of those kinds of things. And they, they, they had a very valid question, which was, Jesus, why? Why should we listen to you? Why should we believe what you're saying? Why should we trust you? Who gave you the authority to say what you're saying and to do what you're doing? Which is actually a really good question. And what Jesus did is he answered this, not so much in the beginning of his career, but especially towards the end of his public ministry, this three-year span of just, I mean, just so jam-packed with so much uh, just richness and texture to his life and to his ministry. But Towards the end of it especially, he started making claims about himself to validate that he had the permission, he had the authority to do and to say what he was doing and saying. And Jesus told people, I'm the son of God, which is a pretty audacious claim, right? It's just, that's a pretty big thing to say. He would tell them, I'm the Messiah, which we don't really get because we're not Jewish, you know. We know that word kind of sounds Jewish to the Jewish people especially, it was this rescuer king that God had promised all of the world and that we had been waiting for, that the world had been waiting for ever since creation, ever since the fall of people. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the, the living water. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he died. He died on Calvary, and when he died, it contradicted and it undermined everything that he had claimed about himself. 
And when Jesus died, all of his followers unfollowed Jesus. And they all went home. And they all hid from the soldiers. And they all stopped believing what he had said. Because they didn't just believe in Jesus' good sayings. They didn't just believe in, in the, the, the good morals that he was trying to share with everybody. They believed the claims that Jesus made about himself. Because if what he said about himself was true, then that changed everything. If he really was the son of God, it changes everything. And his words stand alone and above all other words that have been offered to humanity at any other point in history. So he died. And everybody unfollowed because all of their faith was in Jesus and not just in his teachings. But then something happened, and we celebrate this every year on Easter. On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rose again. And he showed himself alive to those believers that had unfollowed him. And when he showed himself alive, it proved that everything he had claimed about himself was true. And it was the evidence. And it was what they needed. And they saw him, and they touched the resurrected Jesus, and they, they touched the nail scars, and, and put their hand, one of them put their hand in his side, and they had breakfast on the beach with him one day, and they talked with him, and smiled, and laughed with him again. But that was the reason that there was Christianity. That was the reason that this church exists today, because Jesus rose from the dead. And when he did, it validated everything that he said about himself. And that's why we are Christians. Because he got up from the dead. Did you know that the first Christians weren't Christians because there was a Bible? They didn't have a Bible. For like 200 years, there was no the Bible. The first Christians were not Christians because there were church buildings on every corner. There were no church buildings. In fact, Jesus never predicted that his movement would build church buildings. That's something that we brought on afterwards. But Jesus predicted a movement. Jesus predicted a gathering of people centered and focused around this one main commandment, giving filter and, and giving insight into all of the other things that he said, that we should love each other as he had loved us. And the Jesus movement was alive and it was moving and it was underway and Christianity was on the move. And, and Jesus, during those 40 days when he appeared to his disciples and his followers that had been reconstituted and regathered, as his followers, he gathered them and he restored their faith. And, and then he told them, now you go into all the world and you tell everybody what you've seen and what you heard and you show them how to follow me. You go and baptize them in my name and tell them that their sins are freely forgiven. And then he ended this instruction and said, and then teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And against all odds, the Jesus movement began to grow, and it began to flourish, and it began to spread all over the world. Without a Bible, it began to spread. You know, 50 plus years before people would actually write letters and begin to circulate those letters that we call the New Testament, people just began to join this movement that was underway based on just pretty much eyewitness accounts, pretty much based on talking with people that had been healed and had miracles performed by Jesus, talking with people that had seen him die and then seen him after he was risen from the dead. And all of that issued in these very different little communities that sprang up all over the world. These people called Christians would join together and come together, and they were so diverse and from such different backgrounds. But man, when they got together, they loved each other like nobody else the world had ever seen love each other. They provided for each other and, and cared for each other and embraced each other. And, and there were random and occasional miracles. You know, sometimes we focus on the miracles that are in the Bible and 
especially when you read the book of Acts. I mean, it's just like pop, pop, pop. They're just one after the other. But really, those things were spread over so many years. It's not like God did not show up miraculously, but the main evidence of the Jesus movement was the way that they treated each other and the way that they embraced each other. And and historians can't figure it out. Historians can't figure out how the Jesus movement not only lasted, but the Jesus movement thrived and grew and to the point where within a couple of centuries of those early believers, the Jesus movement, Christianity, became the official religion of the very empire that had crucified its founder. Wow, that's incredible. That's unexplainable, except if Jesus rose from the dead. But at the start, these early Christians, they didn't have very much. They just had the memories of the people that were there. They just had the memories of the people that had heard Jesus' parables. And his parables were so confusing. Can I get an amen from some honest person in the room? His parables and his teaching, so confusing at times. Eyewitnesses that were there that saw miracles and, and healings. And, and as these first members began to take their eyewitness accounts and, and their communities and their teachings and the commandments of Jesus out into their world, they began to change their world. And because they lived lives that followed what Jesus taught us and, and followed the life pattern of Jesus, we have seen that the world has never been the same. And you are here this morning because of those early followers. You are here because Jesus predicted and then Jesus gave instruction and fuel for the movement that was going to take over the world. And today, in almost every major city and every single nation in the whole world, The name and the teachings and the words of Jesus are heard in languages that we'll never hear, in places that we will never visit. The name of Jesus is known and it's loved and it's worshiped just like we are doing today, just like Jesus predicted it would happen 2,000 years ago. Wow, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's all based on what Jesus gave us to continue this Jesus kind of movement that he kicked off. But we're going to look over the next few weeks at four or five things that Jesus commanded his early followers to not do in his teachings. Things that Jesus commanded us to not do. Now, this isn't like with your kids. Like you tell your kids to not do something, and then they ignore you and do it anyway. But you tell them not do. These are not thou shalt nots like we might have in our mind if we grew up in Sunday school or remember reading anything in the Old Testament. These are strange and challenging things. And honestly, the things that Jesus told his early followers to not do, they don't even really make sense until after the resurrection. For example, Jesus said, fear not. How do you not fear? Right? Sometimes I get up in the morning and look in the mirror and I'm afraid. Can I hear an amen, right? He said, judge not. Yeah, that was too many amens. Tone it down, please. Like, a little too enthusiastic. Uh, support me on that one. He said, judge not. Judge not. And they're like, well, Jesus, we're trying to judge if you're, if you're real or not. What do you mean judge not? Doubt not. Sin not. And then the one today, maybe the most unrealistic of all, Jesus said, worry not. Worry. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe we can put it in Old Testament language like this. Thou shall not worry. Turn and point your finger at somebody and tell them, thou shalt not worry. Yeah, good luck, right? I mean, you tell somebody, don't worry, and what do they say back to you? Be happy. Come on, somebody. Like, wait, wake up on Sunday morning. Don't worry. Do, 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 do
Do, 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 do. Oh, this is horrible. No wonder you're not on stage singing. Come on. <laughs> don't worry. Somebody tells you, don't worry about it. And you're like, oh, okay. My worry's all gone. No, that's not how it works. Worry. How in the world do we get rid of worry? But this is something that Jesus commanded us not to do. Early on in his career, one of his first sermons, his most famous sermon, people think this was preached over and over again to different crowds in different places. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Jesus, how can you even command me to not worry. How can you command? Why? Why would you tell me this? And I think, you know, anybody know that Jesus always answered questions with more questions? Yeah. Jesus, why would you tell me not to worry? I think Jesus would ask us some questions. In fact, he does. There's one of the questions I think Jesus would ask us. He did ask us, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Anybody here worried so hard that you know you're going to live longer? No. Who of you by worrying, now here's the real side of it, has probably taken about a year off of your life? Can I hear a good amen from some worriers in the room? Yeah, all the people with no fingernails. Come on. Right? Who of you by worrying are driving people in your life crazy? Mmm, mmm, conviction, right? Who of you by worrying has ever upgraded your wardrobe or reduced your grocery bill? Anybody? Nobody. That's what I thought. Who of you by worrying has added value to the things in your life that you value most? Worry hasn't accomplished any of those things for us. Worry's never done anything for us, right? Planning, preparation, sure. Biting your nails, only thing you do is save a few bucks on a manicure. Like it just, it hasn't done anything. It hasn't added time. It hasn't added value. It's robbing your life of value. And so Jesus says, knock it off. Quit. Quit worrying. Okay, Jesus, we get why we shouldn't worry, but how do we not worry, right? Anybody got stress lines in your forehead? Yes. If you don't, can I hear an amen for Botox? No, I'm just kidding. Like, just kidding. Gee, I got stress lines in my forehead. How do I get rid of my stress lines? How do I get rid of worry? And this is why today is so important. Uh, for those that hope and, and trust in Jesus, for the Jesus followers in the room, listen, you are offered a chance to replace your worry with something so far better, something so much greater, something that will actually add value and life to your life. Jesus gives us this. He tells us what it is. He tells us how to add it to our lives. But if you're in here and you're not a Jesus follower, Maybe you're thinking about being a Jesus follower. You know, maybe you used to follow, but you don't anymore. Maybe it was your parents' religion. It's not necessarily that you were just a bad or evil person, but at some point in your life, like you, religion and church and Christianity as it was presented to you, just like it just didn't seem like it worked for you, right? Prayer didn't seem to really get you anything, or maybe your life didn't really seem any different or better than any non-believer's lives. There is something, if you're not really a Jesus follower yet, there is something so practical and so beautiful in what Jesus says. It's so much better than worry. And, and if you'll put this into practice, and if, you, if you'll give room for God to kind of come into your days and come into your life and come into your worries, I think you'll see through this one principle how faith in God 
and God's faithfulness come together and intersect in a very beautiful and, and practical way. And so we're going to look at what Jesus says. And we're starting in, in Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew was there. Matthew heard it. Again, Jesus probably preached this message a bunch of times in a bunch of places to a bunch of different crowds. And I mean, by the time his career was over, these disciples could probably quote everything that Jesus was going to say. And Matthew tells us, Matthew 6, 25, the whole thing. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will, everybody say what you will. Eat. And what you will, somebody say what you will. Drink. Or about your body, what you will, somebody say what you will. Where. And right away, right away, just in this one verse, Jesus is defining for us a key parameter of worry. This is what makes worry, worry. What you will eat, will drink, will wear. Worry is about the future. We're all worried about tomorrow. We're all worried about the future. And Jesus, as he's talking about this, he's starting with worries that were common to first century people. And these may be our worries or they may not be our worries. Most of us, really, we're not worried about what we're going to eat. Look at us. Like, come on, somebody. Like, most of us aren't worried about having clean drinking water, right? There's clean drinking water everywhere except Flint, Michigan. Like, it's just, it's everywhere, right? Most of us aren't worried what we're going to wear. You were worried if it was going to match, and then some of you weren't even worried about that. Just, you know, you're free. Don't worry. Be unmatchy. That's right. Just, but we worry about tuition. We worry about whether or not we're going to go to college and what my career path's going to be. I worry about the zeros in my savings account. And, and you know, we worry about credit card debt and the housing market and, and my marriage. And am I going to get remarried ever and relationships with my kids and our aging parents and bills. And, and Jesus, he puts all of this into perspective. And he just, he, it's so awesome the way he does it. He goes on and he says, your worry really isn't about those things. Your worry is about how those things are going to affect your future. And then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, is not life, like is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? And I like this. This is so just practical and it just makes so much sense. Like when you think about your life, that your life is made up of all of these kind of slices of the pie of life, all of these different arenas and categories of life. Isn't your life bigger than any one of those categories on its own? And when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it is. My life's about love, and my life's about my legacy, and my life's about health, right, and, and family, and happiness, and, and, and managing my money, and, and respect, and honor, and, and security, and faith. And yeah, sure, life is about more than any one of these things that I might worry about. And to that, Jesus would tell us, well, then take a step back. Take a step back. Put things into perspective because when you're so close to the thing that you're worrying over, you can't see all the rest of your life. Isn't that awesome? Just so simple, but doesn't it really kind of give perspective to everything? Anybody following Jesus so far? You got it? You're there? Okay, one person. All right, here we go. And then Jesus... He's trying to pull us along, and then Jesus kind of goes off the path. And if you were not lost before, you might be lost here. And Jesus said, look at the birds, the air. And we're thinking, who has time to look at the birds? I'm busy. My aging parents like to look at the birds, right? In fact, I think they're going a little cuckoo, and they're not here, so I can say that about them. They're traveling all over the U.S. No, they're not. They're, they're in fine health. In case they ever listen to this, they never will, but I'm not. So who has time to look at birds? Like I have an interview next week. 
I have a presentation. I have, it's finals week coming up. Can I hear a groan from some high school or college students in the room? Oh, they all got it down. Like my bills are coming due. It's only the first. And Jesus says, no, 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 stop. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. This was an agrarian society. They knew all about planting and harvest and all of this. They do not sow. The birds don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have barns to store away. And yet, even though they can't do all of those things, even though they don't do all of those things for themselves, your heavenly Father feeds them. And, and this is so important to me. This is just, Look, Jesus is not arguing for living irresponsibly. Jesus is not saying don't plan. Don't go to school. Don't prepare. Don't get a savings account. Rather, what he is saying is you have an advantage over the birds. You were created different and better. You can plan. You can save. You can prepare yourself and learn a new skill and, and ready yourself for the future. But here's the thing behind the thing. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than the birds? To your father. Are you not much more valuable than they? Ask somebody close to you. Are you more valuable to God than a bird? Now look, that's the question. Look, it seems silly, but this is the issue right here. How valuable are you to God? This is the question you have to settle in your own heart. How valuable are you to God. And then he gets to the question that we talked about earlier. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. The flowers of the field, they don't go out and pick cotton. They're not out there milking silkworms. I have no idea how silk comes out of a worm. I don't know if it's milked or not. I just noticed I did a gesture. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I know. They're not doing that stuff. They're not spinning and sewing clothes, yet I tell you that even so not even Solomon, one of Israel's great ancient kings, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then he takes us again to the heart of worry, the cause and the source of all of our stress. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus is asking us, don't you know how much you matter to God? Don't you realize and understand your worth and your value in the eyes of your heavenly Father? If he has done all of this for nature, if he attends to every bird, if he knows and clothes all of the grass and all of the flowers in the field that only lasts for a few months maybe out of the year, think about the big Bible idea that we're all created in the image of God. And Jesus is like, Come on, aren't you worth so much more to God than these things? And that's the question you have to answer this morning. I am so serious about this. How valuable are you to God? Don't you realize that he thinks you are to die for? Don't you realize that he came down and gave his life as a sacrifice, a covering over all of your... He didn't come to cover the lives of perfect people because none of us would have got covered. He came to cover the lives of broken, messed up, jacked up. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Don't you realize how much he loves you? Don't you know? Don't you know 
that you're the apple of his eye. Don't you know? I love one of the Old Testament passages. It's escaping my mind where it's, fine, where it's found, but it says, he sings over us. Can you imagine God singing? You know that feeling? Like when you're feeling good about somebody, it just puts a song in your heart, make, makes you whistle. God is whistling over you. God is singing over you. God rejoices. He's not putting up with you. That's the way we feel because that's the way we treat others. But God is so different than us. And his love for us is never determined by our failures. It's never determined by our weakness. His love is determined only by him. You're so much more valuable to God. Can't we trust that God will be with us and for us in our future? And then he kind of digs in a little bit with this. You of little faith. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them, you little faither. You little faither. You got little faith. And he's almost given this math formula that little faith equals big worry. Little faith, little trust in your value in God's eyes, that equals big worry. But big faith, big trust in how much God loves you equals little worry. Jesus is pulling us in like, how big is your God and how important are you to him? How big is your God and how important are you to him? And Calvary and the cross stands over everything, every question, every doubt that we could ever have, and it speaks what we could never come up with on our own. Jesus is calling us to look at, you know, it's amazing to me. Creation is just, it blows my mind. Did you know the earth moves through space at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour? Did you know that? Anybody ever have a day where you feel like you got nothing done? Anybody ever have? Did you know on your laziest day, you moved 1.6 billion miles through space? Like, give yourselves a hand. Like, that's in. <laughs> you guys should not be clapping for that. You're a bunch of... Oh, my goodness. Think about it. Who of us have ever once knelt and thanked God that he kept the earth rotating for one more day? Like, Jesus, I didn't know if you were going to make this one, but whoo, you came through. And now I can see a brand new No, you never. All that God does, the world that he has made, all of his power and glory on display, and all of it is put on display for you. All of it is there to show you that he loves you, and he cares for you, and he knows your name, and he knows your pain, and he knows your life. And get this. He knows your tomorrow, so get rid of your worry. You're much more valuable to God than you could ever understand. Can you give him praise and love all over the room this morning? Come on, clap your hands. Come on, lift up your voice. Mm. Jesus is saying, worry, it's exposing a problem that you have and understanding your value in God's eyes. And you're worried whether or not your God will be able to take care of you tomorrow because worthy, worry is about the future. And we reach into tomorrow. And tomorrow has this bucket of cares, but so does today. And we reach into tomorrow's bucket of cares and we get a grip on something there and we drag it into our day and our day's bucket of worries. And then our bucket gets overwhelmed and runs over and fear gets a grip. And we worry and we worry. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall? Look at that, it's future. Do not worry, saying, what shall we drink? It's future. 
Do not worry, saying, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. And pagans here is not a derogatory term. It's talking about unbelievers, people that have no concept of a personal God, people who have no idea they've been invited into this relationship based on this new covenant freely offered to us all. The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And this last sentence is such a big deal. Think about your word. What if you faced your word? Think about this. Your heavenly Father already knows what you need. What if you face every uncertainty in life with that certainty in the back of your mind? What if you faced every need that you have in your life with that certainty? And in that moment of uncertainty, what if, oh, this would be huge. What if in every moment of uncertainty, you heard certainly God whisper to you, I already know. What if in every moment of fear and uncertainty, you could hear the voice of God certainly whisper to you, I see you. I promise I'll never leave you. Can't you see the cross and understand that I love you? What if in every moment, every dark moment, you could hear the voice of God? First of all, it would freak me out. But beyond that, beyond that, what it would say to our hearts, what it would speak to our hearts, what would it mean to you to know, to know, to be assured deep down in your soul that God does not just know that I exist. God knows my name and God knows what I need. And if he knows, it's because he wants to know exactly what I need. Exactly what I need. And everybody who doesn't have an understanding of of how valuable they, they are to God they run after all of those things. They chase after worry. and they, they, they can never really touch them because worry is always in tomorrow, but they chase them. But you, you, instead of chasing a tomorrow that you can't secure today, he would go on and say, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Put God's concerns first and God will take care of your concerns. Take care of God's kingdom first, and God will take care of yours. Manage God's work in this world first, and God will manage yours. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, in other words, based on everything we've just talked about, based on the questions that I asked you, working through all of this and considering nature and accounting for the cross and and what it says about you, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has trouble, enough trouble of its own. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Like Jesus needed to tell us this, right? Like every day brings a whole new load of worries on its own, and your heavenly Father knows what you need now. He's promised to take care of your world now when you focus on taking care of His. So leave tomorrow to tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. Now, what if, what if, what if we could really believe this? Because if we worry, we don't. But what if we could really, really get a hold of this? What if this could settle our minds and our hearts? What if we could just grab on and and hold so tight to this that no fear could come and rip it out of our hearts? What if we really, really believed that God would provide what you need today? What if you really, really believed that God was already in your tomorrow morning waiting on you to get there? 
waiting on you so he could provide. Can you imagine the peace? Can you imagine the difference, the calm, the lack of anxiety and worry? Why not believe that? Why not? Why wouldn't we believe that? Or maybe we could ask it this way. What's the alternative for believing this? The alternative to believing this about our God and our relationship with God is to worry. And what's worry ever done for you? Or maybe we might say it this way then. We have to choose what we're going to trust. We have to choose if we're going to put our faith in worry or put our faith in our Heavenly Father. Which one are we going to trust? Who's more dependable, your Father in heaven or your worry? No answers? Come on, your Father in heaven. Can you imagine if we thought that worry was the answer? Can you imagine if that was the hope of my message today? Trust in worry. Trust in worry. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge worry. And worry will direct your path. Come on, we know that's not true. Nobody sings, how great is our worry. Like, right? Sing with me, how great is... Nobody, man, you guys just... It's, y'all are already on holiday. Come on, somebody. Don't leave me up here singing by myself. just feels weird. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you. We're there. So we know we're not supposed to trust and worry. And Jesus said it early on in Matthew 6, and he repeated it over and over and over. But it's hard. And worry does, not worrying doesn't come by instinct. Not worrying only comes by faith and by trust. And, and it's just so hard to get there. And we're not the only ones to struggle with it. And he introduced it at the beginning of his ministry. And by the end of his ministry, all of his followers had gotten the lesson? No. All of his closest followers still worried. They were with Jesus, like he's standing, sitting right there. And guess what they did? They worried, exactly. John chapter 14, Jesus is like, I'm going away. And they started to worry. Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Where are you going? Like, what road are you going to take? Jesus says, you know the way I'm going. You know the way to, to get where I'm going. And they're like, no, no, no. We don't even know where you're going. What road would we take? And Peter says, well, they might not follow you. I'm going to follow you anywhere. And Jesus is just like, Peter, Peter, you know, you don't, you don't get it. And Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust. You trust in your heavenly Father, trust also in me. You depend on your heavenly Father, depend on me. And he goes through the rest of John chapter 14, and it's a beautiful chapter. It's our chapter of the week. You should read John chapter 14 every day this week. So beautiful what he tells them about the Holy Spirit coming, and it was going to fill them and baptize them, and through the Holy Spirit, they would never have to be apart from him again. They would never have to worry again. They would always be given what they need. The Holy Spirit was going to fill them and baptize them to immerse them in the constant presence of God. And then he gets to the end of chapter 14, verse 27. Look what he says. Peace I leave with you. Peace. I Isn't that so absent from our Christian experiences at times? Right? I mean, like Jesus said, I'm leaving you my peace, but there's times in our Christian walk when we just don't have peace. And we've let worry sneak in and rob us of what Jesus promised us all those many years ago and what he confirms to us each and every day. Peace, I live, leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you 
as the world gives. This isn't what the pagans are always chasing after. This isn't what people who have no idea of their value to God are chasing after. This is not a, it's not about any kind of temporary certainty about your conditions. It's about a certainty that you are loved by the one who holds your world in his hands. This is not based on any kind of certainty about your outcome or the circumstances or the results. It's a certainty that the one who has won the ultimate victory holds you in his hands and he's promised to never let you go. So my peace I give to you and I don't give to you what the world gives to you. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And just hours after he spoke these words, Jesus walked out of that room and he went to a garden to pray. And there Jesus was arrested and everyone worried and everyone was troubled and everyone was afraid and they all ran away. And Jesus was unjustly condemned with false evidence and lying witnesses. And Jesus, the hope of the world, Jesus, the healer of every sickness, Jesus, the bread of life, the living water, the resurrection and the life, the forgiver of every sin, Jesus was nailed to a cross and he died. And when he died, there was no peace for his followers. There was no calm in their hearts. There were only there was only worry, and they ran, and they stayed home, and they hid for the, from the soldiers, and they feared for their lives. But then, on a Sunday, Jesus rose again. And when he rose and showed himself to them, in a moment, this is so big, you have to get this, you have to get this. In a moment, when they saw the risen Jesus, suddenly, suddenly, and not until then, did not worrying about tomorrow make sense. But when they saw the risen Jesus, suddenly they understood how Jesus could ask them to never worry again because Jesus was alive and Jesus had conquered their greatest fear and Jesus had overcome the world and Jesus had finally, finally in the resurrection given them the peace that he really was in control of everything. And even though our circumstances look big enough to overwhelm us, they can never overcome the one that has overcome everything. He alone reigns victorious. He alone is the king. He alone is the almighty. He alone is the alpha and omega, the beginning beginning and the end. He alone is the source of creation and creation's goal. He alone is the heart and the love of God. And he says to you and to me, and it didn't make sense until we saw him alive again, don't worry about tomorrow. And they saw him and they talked with him and they ate with him. They were assured by him. They were commanded by him again, and they finally began to understand how they could obey what Jesus commanded and let go of worry and let go of fear and find a peace, not of this world, by trusting the one who holds every tomorrow in his hands. And that kind of fearlessness, that kind of trust in a risen Savior was the hallmark of the early church. And they faced threats of death and they faced persecution that just to us would be unimaginable and it would be absolutely unspeakable to experience it or see someone that we love experience that kind of persecution and harassment. They were hungry 
and they were without clothes, and they were driven from their homes, but they remained faithful, and they remained hopeful, and they shared what they had with never having a fear of their not being enough because they trusted in the one who had told them that my peace I give to you, and your heavenly Father loves you so much more than birds and flowers and grass and all of these things. He cares for us. If the musicians could come. And 32 years later, this is amazing, not like 100 years later, so it wasn't, you know, somebody who didn't live it. It wasn't 150 years later, you know, somebody writing that wasn't there and did not experience it. Just 32 years later, a man named Paul wrote to some Jesus followers in a Roman city called Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Tell somebody close to you, tell them, God is close. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about, every, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough troubles and worries of its own. But God is near. So don't be anxious about anything. But just let Him know what need is in your life. And He goes on and He says, and, and the peace of God. The peace of God. Not, not the peace that comes from having like temporarily okay circumstances. Anybody ever get there? Like you have a bill come due and then like you get an unexpected bonus check or something like, you know, just, oh, right? Like that, that feels good, but it only lasts for a little while. Paul's saying, no, 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 the peace of God. Not the peace that comes from having a little bit of money in the bank. Not a peace that comes and it's only temporary when you got the scholarship letter or you got the job or you see a strong economy. None of those things are eternal. None of those things are all powerful. There's something so much better on offer, something that goes beyond explanation, something that goes beyond human reasoning or human ability to figure out, beyond what we can see, the peace that comes from trusting that God knows not just your name, but that God knows what you need. And he has promised out of his love and his mercy and his kindness to give you everything you need and more. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when you have this peace in your heart and when you know how much you're worth to God, like people will look at you as you face trials and, and storms and difficulties in your life and they'll think, how can you be so calm facing that? How could you have peace going through that? Why aren't you freaking out? I'd be freaking out if I was going through what you're going through, right? Why aren't you responding to what they're saying, right? Why aren't you paying her back? Why aren't you, why aren't you giving, getting revenge on him? And Paul's saying, no, no, once you have the peace of God and you're absolutely convinced in what he says about you and what he's promised you, that there is a peace that will stand guard over your mind. There is a peace that will stand guard over your heart in Christ Jesus. And that is on offer to all of us. There's not a person in this room that's exempt from that promise of peace in the middle of our storms. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.